0: This FT Strategies podcast is brought to you in association with the Google News Initiative, who work side-by-side with publishers and journalists to help strengthen their work in the digital age. It's often said that news media and publishing are under threat, whether it's drops in advertising revenue, forcing business models to evolve quickly, or shifts in the way consumers consume. Organizations are constantly having to pivot and do so at pace in order to survive. In this series, we look at the defining moments faced by leaders in news publishing and unpack the strategies adopted and the capabilities built in order to continue delivering and sustaining journalism and news in the digital age. We'll explore how they're not just surviving, but in some cases thriving. I'm Lisa McLeod, and this is The Turning Point by FT Strategies. Hello, and welcome to The Turning Point by FT Strategies. I'm Lisa McLeod. I'm a Principal and Head of EMEA Engagements. This week, I'm delighted to welcome an old friend of FT Strategies, publisher from Lisbon, who has participated in our Subscription Academy program, delivered in partnership with the Google News Initiative. So thank you for joining us, Nicholas Holmes, the News Ecosystem and Strategy Manager at Google, and Leo Xavier, Director of Product at Absolvador. First, to set the scene, Leo, can you give us a bit of a background? On Observador, please, what encouraged you to apply to our Subscription Academy program offered in partnership with Google?
1: Yeah, sure. Hi, Lisa. So to give you context on Observador, uh, so this is a Lisbon-based Portuguese online-only newspaper. We launched nine years ago, and back then there was a lot of disruption to be done in the publishing scene in Portugal. Most publishers were still very paper-oriented, both in their methodologies and also their their focus, strategic focus. And we thought the opportunity was there to launch a digital-only newspaper um, that also offered a different uh, point of view on news. So this is something more for the ones who are listening who are more uh, journalists than than technologists, but. Um, In Portugal, there is no tradition of newspapers having a declared point of view or taking stances on issues uh, formally. And we thought that is something that we should import from other countries like the UK where the editorial team actually takes stances on things. And so we have a very clear point of view on things and are open about that and formally um, do our business in that way. So that was another disruption we thought was relevant in the Portuguese market. So we launched um, in 2014. We had a meteoric rise in audiences. We offered a lot of products that back then were uh, not part of the the, the offering in Portugal. Twenty thirteen, if you remember, was the year where newsletters came back, and you had the the daily brief from Quartz disrupting the the newsletter yes, business. I
0: remember well. And yeah.
1: Vox had the explainers. And these things were all very new back then. And we, we, we you know, we we took a lot of inspiration from these experimental but very effective ways of bringing news to the people and different formats. Four years later in 2018, once we reached scale, we launched our subscriptions program. So up until then, we were uh, open access, ad-based only revenue model. And four years later, we reached the scale that we thought was relevant to start actually asking our readers to to pay for our content. And that has been a very um, interesting journey, as probably most publishers also will feel. There's a lot of learning there, but most of all, there's a lot of reskilling, retooling, and also refocusing on what your ways of working are and what your ways of producing content are that are a never-ending exercise. And so, when you ask why we applied to the Subscriptions Academy, it's because four years into the subscript, our subscriptions effort, we uh, felt that we had done the low-hanging fruit, we, we, we had done the you know the obvious playbook to an extent, but and we had seen the results. You know, we had seen okay, this is something that can actually uh, be relevant in terms of revenue, but we knew that we needed to accelerate that. And we needed to gain skills that took us to a new chapter in subscriptions where we went beyond the low hanging fruit and basically just putting a paywall up and saying, why don't you pay to read this into actually shifting the organization to be strategically focused on subscription with all that comes with it, which is a lot.
0: Thank you so much. Yeah. And I um, I remember working with you on the program and One of the main thrusts of that program is really for publishers to look at their data and to see things in a different way um, and perhaps to see things that they may not have seen before in order to help them to grow. So, Nick, Observador is developing a data-driven mindset throughout the company, as Leo has just told us. Can you tell us a little bit about how Google thinks about how publishers can use data?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I want to say thanks for, for inviting me on. It's it's a pleasure to be here with you both.
0: Thank you. Um,
2: I think it will come as a surprise to, to nobody that Google is a very data-driven company. What's interesting is, if you put it in a very historical perspective, over the last couple of decades, we've really been living through this kind of golden age of, of data. Um, I remember my first website um, this is going to date me, but it had a little counter at the bottom where it would tick up as you uh, as you got visitors, and I remember going from that to using um, analytics for the first time and just being blown away that you could see suddenly, you know, where your visitors were coming from and um, at what time of day they were coming, and I think. When we think about data and we think about audience data and user data, it's just got more and more advanced over time and we've been living through this period of, of, of incredible richness in terms of in terms of data. On user data, which I suppose is audience data for publishers, I do think that we're at something of an inflection point here. I think consumer expectations are changing slightly. And so you're seeing people with much more of an awareness of the value of their data and how their data is used. And you're you're sort of seeing two responses. So you have kind of a, a regulatory response in terms of, you know, think legislation like GDPR, yeah. um, the California Consumer Protection Act, these kind of things. And then you have an industry response, which is probably most obvious if you think about something like third party cookie deprecation, um, started a couple of years ago with Safari, and it's kind of continuing. And that's just the trend that we're going to see. In terms of what that means for publishers, you know, the old mantra was always data is the new gold. And I think this is definitely true with first party data. So if you're a publisher, that first party data, that's information that you're collecting directly from your customers, you know, email addresses, your site visitors, their preferences, all of this stuff. And that's so valuable for a publisher because it's what allows you to build those direct relationships with your readers. It allows you to offer the right kind of amount of value in exchange for the data that they are giving you. And of course, it allows you to boost your your monetization, as Leo was mentioning, and your ad performance. So I think, you know, we've come through this period of different uses of data. And I think that now publishers have this enormous opportunity to to, to leverage new types of data going forwards. It's a bit of a challenge to, to do things differently. But at the same time, I think it's a huge opportunity and it's something that the industry can be really excited about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think a challenge for, for many publishers who have the concept of first party data but potentially don't really know firstly how to do it, how to go about it and also what to do with it um, once we have it. So I think we'll probably come back and talk a little bit more about that. Leo, just give us a bit of a a background about what you've been doing since the program. Um, You've had an eventful couple of months. Give us an update. How are things going?
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's been really exciting. It's been, I think, just over six months since we finished the Subscriptions Academy program. Yeah, one thing that's interesting is we did not change the team. So we have the same people working here, mostly than the people who were at the beginning of the program and yet so much has changed. And I think that's a good indicator on how by changing methodologies, changing a little bit of the culture, most of all, clarifying your strategic goal makes everyone work in a much more focused, pragmatic way. And collaborative way across newsroom and and data team and marketing and subscriptions communications etc. So this goes into data and, and it's really interesting, Nicholas, what you're saying about you know how how relevant it is to to know your user and to get a bit of understanding on how they are using our website because I think there's much to be done and I loved your example of the little counter that we had visible at the end of the website. I remember the first website I did. I refreshed the page to see if people were coming to the site, but I had to do minus one because plus one was me refreshing the page, so I had to do it <laughs> to no. know. So we
0: can... We, it's, that's know. heartbreaking.
1: Exactly. And I was, I was 13 years old, and when I saw a plus two, it was the biggest moment of my life is when I knew that this was for me. This is what I want to do. You know, I want to create yeah. digital experiences.
0: And thus began the search for traffic. Exactly.
1: And <laughs> um, so it's, you know, it 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 we it, it came a long way and i agree we still have a lot to go there because we have to become more user centered we have to really take care that we're delivering what value to our users and and you can't ask all the users because we have millions of them so we have to measure it you know we have to find proxies and kpis that tell us if we're doing a good job or not beyond the classical page views, even beyond the engagement time, because there's such, so much more nuance in how people consume news, podcasts, video, et cetera, that w- especially when it comes to then extracting actual their hard earned cash, you know, actually asking them to pay for it. Um, so one example is we, before the subscriptions academy, we had um, no quality read indicator So, of course, we use tools like ChartBeat to have their quality page views and their engagement time. And that is a a core tool in our newsroom, as in many others. But we didn't have granular data on this reader looked at this article in this way, which allows us to then cross-references with stuff like, hey, did the user churn? Or what kind of plan is this user on? Or which articles did he read before subscribing? We now have two quality read indicators. We went from zero to two. You know, we took one approach, which is the quality read indicator from which is very similar to the one that the FT use and gave us as an excellent case study on how it how you got there, the process of defining it was very interesting. And the second one we use is more of an approach that the Guardian uses in their Ofen tool. Which is a bit more on how much time you spend on the article compared to what we expect be expectable given the length of the article.
0: Right. Okay. So
1: from zero to two in six months is is I think a good example of how we're moving. Do you
0: use them simultaneously, or do you have two scores, or are you blending them?
1: You know that that's an ongoing discussion, and that's a very <laughs> interesting one because because it makes you ask what do you want. You know, it's yes. not just because yes. you look at both and there are differences. And then the next question is, which one is better? Towards the next question is, well, it depends. What are you trying to solve? Right. And and that that's not a simple answer, right? There are different occasions. So actually one thing we're looking into is using different indicators for different problems we're trying to solve. If you want to give journalists feedback on how their article is performing in general, maybe it's better to go for an average uh, of... How much time they spend versus what would be expectable on that length of article, yes. which, which I think doesn't shift to the journalist's responsibility that isn't theirs, like the topic selection or what they should write about or which, which department, which editorial you know, group team they're in. And, and if the article had a paywall or not, that's not their decision. But then, no. if you want to go to, into those areas, I think you need to go into much more granular, detailed analysis of quality reads on scroll depth and and mm-hmm. scroll slow scroll on the article that mm-hmm. allow you to go a bit deeper, and that can also be used, for example, for recirculation engines, recommendation engines. So there's a there's there's more you can work with on that front.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because in this industry, for hundreds of years. You know, we produced news without really knowing what our users wanted or didn't want. And we're very much reliant on c- copy sales. And, you know, it was hopefully an indicator of either a very beautiful front page or, you know, what was what was inside. And now we have this really granular view and it's really posed so many opportunities, but also been a really stark reminder of our responsibilities um, to our readers and and how that works. Nick, how should publishers manage the, the, the different kinds of data types that they're sitting on? I mean, what does it mean for all of us?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're absolutely right in terms of the way that we went from having not very much data and very lagging data to just just reams of real-time data that can actually be very difficult to sift through and so i think the absolute key to this is to root it in your your business objectives because there's so much that you can take now that if you don't have a strategy for what you're going to take and why it's very easy to just become overwhelmed but that said i think that there are a couple of ways that that publishers can think about this, and and Leo um, has spoken about the reader engagement piece. I think that's absolutely key. That's a kind of business and editorial side of things. So obviously, journalists understanding how their work is performing kind of veers towards an, an editorial use case. But then you've also got this kind of editorial optimization, and that's you know not just over indexing on the content that you know performs, you know readers engage with that sort of content, but it's also trying to figure out you know where the, the deadwood is at the bottom. you know what's that lower 20, 30 percent of articles that nobody ever reads? And why is that the case? You know why is that a problem? Leo also talked about recirculation, which is another form of kind of um, reader engagement and, and optimization which is really interesting. And then I think being able to improve the reader experience by delivering a really personalized experience, that's something that um, I'm really interested in. And, and you know, it's, it's now commonplace, almost everyone's got the ability to follow topics and authors and whatever. But this idea that you can deliver a better experience by having a Facebook-style newsfeed, I think is really exciting, of articles that from a specific publication that you know that that member of the audience is going to be interested in so that's kind of one of three is 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 the reader engagement the other two things that i would think about when it comes to specific data types are more on the business side so um leo spoke at the beginning about you know this this subscriptions journey and i think one really obvious kind of use of data is how can you increase those direct paying relationships with your subscribers how can you leverage data in the right way to feed into your subscription pricing and your promotional strategy and and this gets really interesting because you can really test in real time the tools that we have now to do things like a b testing dynamic pricing optimization it allows you because fortunately publishers often have quite a bit of traffic you can run tests at scale very rapidly to figure out how you can improve um, subscriptions and increase lifetime value and also reducing churn is another big part and then finally I think the other key use of data is is for the advertising use case. So for publishers who often have a, a, a pretty chunky percentage of their, of their revenue coming from advertisers, being able to use data effectively is absolutely key. And if you look at, so BCG did a study um, that found that marketers who can effectively use this first party data can actually generate one and a half times the incremental revenue from a single ad placement. And so that's incredibly powerful when you're thinking about things like audience-based advertising, Um, your ad pricing strategy, you know, which parts of the site are more valuable to advertisers compared to others and overall yield management. Being able to leverage that data um, across your advertising inventory is super valuable. So yeah, I would say reader engagement, direct paying relationships and driving revenue from advertisers.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much. And Leo, let's just come back. I mean, I think you've both made this point quite clearly, which is this uh, is the role that editorial plays in, in data, in generating good data, understanding the data in a way, and how intricately tied that is to your actual access model. How did you go about introducing data into the newsroom and, and what role does it play in the newsroom? We've been talking about quality reads, which we do at the FT as well. But... But what, what are some of the challenges and some of the successes you've had?
1: Yeah, that is, that is, I think, the one of the biggest challenges is to make sure that we're aligned when it comes to the use of data. And it's, it's very interesting to, to find the balance between, Nicholas, what you said, which is definitely a big opportunity of personalization of content, and especially when it comes to the curation of content. I mean, there's a whole nother ballgame when it comes to actually generation of content, but let's stick to the curation for now. And I think there's a really difficult balance there because, and actually this was, this was in, the, in the Reuters News Institute on the report that came out. It was very clear that there is a growing part of readers who do not feel comfortable on algorithms deciding which news they should be presented. Right. And so yeah. this is something we're thinking about a lot, which is how do we strike the balance between people reach out to us because of our curational value because we select what we think are relevant topics in that moment and you know we're agenda setting. Um, but on the other hand, we nowadays produce six times as many articles per day as we did when we launched. And no one in their right mind will get close to reading all those articles or, yeah. or even scanning the headlines of all those articles. So we need some sort of personalization or, or sub products or, or maybe even things like the, like the Financial Mm -hmm. Times did with the FD edit different reading modes, different, different, you know, stages the readers at to
0: narrow, to narrow the options in a way. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. So this
1: balance between curation and between uh, personalization is something that the newsroom thinks about a lot too, because they know that that is one of their valid purposes. It's not just writing, but it's curating. And when we talk about data, there's this sense of questioning, which I think is great. Because journalists, that's what they do best is they question, you know, and and we have a lot to learn from that. And it's not rare that we come up with a dashboard that has like 10 indicators. And Nicholas, you mentioned this, you know, there's an, there's an amount of data suddenly and you like open the floodgates and there's data everywhere and indicators and they're all real time. And and then the question comes, and the question is, so what, you know, what, what should I do about this? And and what are you suggesting? And we're like, wait, we're not suggesting anything. I said, well, the data isn't either. So this process of actually being very humble and open to the, the, do they call it the four W's and an A's? Like the who, when, why, and the how. Right. So I'm not a journalist. Otherwise I'd probably know this by heart, but, but I know that this intrinsic journalist quality is actually really useful when it comes to thinking about being user centered. I mean, you want to know who your user is. You want to know why he comes to your newspaper. You want to know what he wants to read, where he wants to read it. Is it on the phone? Is it is it is it in the subway? Is it audio? Is it not? And and how he wants to read it. What's the you know what is it a digest? Is it is it analysis? Is it because the topic can be, you know, a submersible uh, uh, in in distress in in the Atlantic Ocean, but. Do you have one minute? Do you want analysis? Do you want to know what happens next? Do you want to know why it happened? There's so much about this, and so actually, I think at the end of the day, we're going full circle, and and this is what what journalists want and what we want too, and we did an experiment at the end of the subs academy actually, where we said let's not just launch data into the newsroom, let's actually pick a subgroup of the newsroom, exposed them to weekly reports about the engagement readers have with their articles, which is data we hadn't sent out before, and treat this as an experiment. It's not a very scientific one because we don't have a large sample, et cetera. But it made, us, it made clear to the newsroom that we weren't telling them what to do, but we were experimenting with data. And we wanted to understand how they reacted with it to see how others would react to it. And It was great. We had a, a feedback meeting with all the journalists present, and immediately the questions were, "But what? Why is my article underperforming? What is what is it about this? Was it the headline? Was it the the the, the introduction? Was it the topic in itself? Was it?" And so we we jump started this process of being data informed. You know, data isn't telling them what to do, but data is giving them clues on what they might want to do. And that worked really well. And we're now actually, next week, we're going to go roll, it, roll it out to the whole newsroom. So the whole newsroom is going to get a weekly report about their own articles and how users are
0: engaging with them. The personalization piece is something that we've really battled with for many years, I think, in in the journalism industry, because I, I remember a couple of cases of, of publishers experimenting with apps, for example, and saying, you know, you could get our app now and then indicate what it is that you're interested in. So say, for example, you say, well, I'm interested in reading about um, Portugal and I'm interested in reading about sports and I'm interested in reading about foreign news. And you end up with 10 articles a day. And all that really does is reduce the value proposition because suddenly people realize that actually what you've got to give them is very thin and um, that doesn't really work. So there's always this balance, isn't there, between the volume of content, the quality of content and trying to find that happy medium in between what to expose and what not to expose.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, Yeah. It's not easy. (laughs) If it were, this podcast wouldn't exist. (laughs) <laughs> exactly, exactly. This is so true. Um, Nick, let's come back to you. We, we've, we've talked about the, the different sort of use cases of data, and, and, and but I wanted to think a little bit more about engaging content. How can news organizations use data to better understand their audiences and actually create more engaging content?
2: Yeah, Leo mentioned this really, really well, but I think it's really important to make the the point, and it's uh, you know, I I totally agree with what you're saying as well, Lisa. That this is this can't be in conflict with some kind of like editorial, the gut intuition. You know, editorial selection is an art. And data can be there to support it, but it's definitely not going to be there to replace it. And I think if you look at, like, the FT is a great example, actually. You know, you have a front page, which is editorially selected. And then if you want your personalized feed, that's a click away and it's on a different tab. So you immediately have that balance of what the editorial team thinks I should read versus what is available for me in terms of, of, of my preferences. Leo's is absolutely right. I, w- I would categorize this as the, the how and the why So how users are engaging with your content, I think is super important. And I I have to plug one of our own tools here, which is news consumer insights. I think you know, Google Analytics is is kind of one of the standard ways of measuring. News Consumer Insights was built by our Google News Initiative team, and it was created due to this problem of a data tsunami. You know, it was aimed really specifically at weeding through all of that data that Google Analytics can collect, and actually helping news organizations to make these data-driven decisions. And, you know, it's based on, on Google Analytics, and it's you know focuses on reader engagement and revenues so it uses things like number of visits to segment you know whether a reader is a casual reader a loyal reader or someone that absolutely loves your brand and then it can use industry benchmarks to actually give you insights on where your where your content is working or where you're falling behind in terms of the industry averages on metrics such as engagement and revenue and it also supports videos so Understanding how your users are engaging is a really important part. But then you get to what is arguably the more interesting question, which is, you know, why they're engaging. And this goes back to to, to what Leo was saying: that news is consumed in such a variety of different ways. And data allows us to surface that through quantitative analytics but also through qualitative surveys. So you, know, you do see publishers increasingly using surveys to capture that data that you can't just get from, from an analytics tool. And it allows you to surface completely different personas for actually someone who might be the same person. So you have someone who might be really, really into politics during the week, but at the weekend, all they want to read about is sports. And being able to marry this idea of qualitative and quantitative, I think, is really important to understand why people are engaging, and that allows you to then experiment with different types of content, so you can see what resonates with an audience, different headline styles, different forms of kind of writing formats and visual a- elements, and also to identify and target those new audiences. So I think you know marrying up that that why and that how um, is absolutely critical, as Leo says.
0: Leo, we've talked about your data team supporting the wider business, but did the data team learn anything from the journalists? I mean, has there been any kind of two-way flow or backwards flow of, of information and thinking from that perspective? And also, in a similar vein, I suppose, what, what what's next? What, what are your some of the initiatives that are you're exploring at Absorb, if you don't mind sharing?
1: Well, that would be a 20-hour podcast if I go through the list of things that we want to do.
0: <laughs> we'll have to have a, a part two. <laughs>
1: And as usual, I mean, I think mean that's I think that's healthy in any company. We have a lot of ambitions and ideas, but then at the end of the day, you know, we we pick the ones that we think are are have the most potential. So, on the first question, on learning from journalists, um, I think there's uh, certainly a lot of humbleness that is required when coming from the technological side of things. So, myself, I you know, I worked in the tech industry for for. 15 years before joining Observador and and I had interest, but I had an experience with media. And I think one thing you learn is to get a bit less excited about technology and a bit more humble about what the core principles are, what the mission is that you're trying to solve, where the boundaries are of what you want to do or not, and where you have to be careful on not uh, risking um undermining the the one thing that differentiates a news website from a non-news website. And and this is an ongoing process because the more ideas you have, the more experimentation you do, the more you risk stepping on those boundaries, you know, and and and, and now with generative AI, this this is like a whole massive whole new chapter of understanding where the boundaries are. And we see it, how different newspapers are reacting differently to this. I mean, the FD put out a guideline that is, for example, much more conservative than maybe what the Guardian um, put out in experimentation with AI. So I think we're still trying to understand, you know, where the boundaries even are. So this is something we we're learning, is understanding what our value proposition is for the user. It's not just engagement, isn't it? And I mean, we need to obsess about engagement. We need to obsess about conversions and but that at the end of the day is not what we're selling right
0: no you're quite um, right i think the obsession with engagement is probably because of the revenue time right yeah
1: and and which is essential i mean we want to run a business we want to be sustainable we of want course, to be profitable yeah. because otherwise the mission <laughs> goes down the drain but it's this balance that i think we're learning a lot and and, and being a bit about less excited about data because we're very excited about data um, which means we need to be more focused and pragmatic also about data, about what problem we're trying to solve, what is the essential way to measure that problem, yeah. and, and only then move forward instead of you know being all over the place. On the second point, on initiatives that we're, we're, we have ahead of ourselves, um, we launched a radio station in 2019. So we launched an actual 24-7 FM talk radio, mostly politics, which is sort of our core offering, but but it is a diverse offering. And with it came, of course, an extremely strong bet in podcasting and digital audio, which quickly positioned us as the leader in a variety of, of podcasts that we, we have in Portugal and also uh, with a really good numbers in terms of, of audience. This was actually a project we did also with the support of Google, this pivot to audio. And many publishers had tried doing it in the years before, but I feel they were always a bit half-hearted efforts and not, you know, a bit more like, me tip my toe into the water and just to see what, what the temperature is like instead of a full in bed, which, which we did and worked really well and, and gave us also the kind of gravitas and, and reach that was very hard to get just with online. Um, there is a big challenge associated to revenue, of course, with audio, as, as a lot of publishers will know, it's not easy to, to generate revenue from audio. Um, we do have the radio station, which, help, which helps because there's a traditional advertising model on radio, FM radio, that that we can tap into and we're trying to, you know, hold hands with the advertisers and tell them, look, let's, you know, pivot to digital and, and your audiences are moving to digital, so should you. What's coming next is we want to look further, which is the next step, which is video. So we want to learn from what we did successfully with audio with this pivot and understand what kind of bet we need to do on video properly. I mean, we had video since 2014, since we launched, most publishers video in some sort or form. But how would it look like to do it in a way that actually generates relevant user engagement and delivers on an, a value that users want? As in, again, Nicholas, like you're saying, People want different formats, want in different ways, want different approaches. The same person sometimes has different modes. You know, in the evening, I want to watch something. During the day, I want to hear something. And during work, I want to read something. So what would that look like for us? And this is something we're exploring very intensively, uh, trying to capitalize on what we have on audio. Because visual radio, so basically, you have cameras in, in, the, in the radio studios, and you, you do a, a gentle pivot to video is one of the options we're looking at, you know but there's a lot that goes into that. AI is of course the very big next thing we're looking at and I think it doesn't need to be for for us we're not a we're not hard no on using generative AI. I think currently we're more in the area of there might be specific use cases where this makes a lot of sense as long as there's human revision. I think this is our current stance that we're still experimenting with. So things like summarization Things like uh, adapting enough format into different uh, other formats that make more sense, or for example, preparing workflows for journalists to review more easily. I'll give you an example. We have our top program on the radio is a two-hour show in the mornings with our publisher, uh, talking about daily relevant topics and going doing a deep dive into them. And that's a two hour program, which has a really strong core audience, but not everyone is willing to dedicate two hours to watching something. So the, the, the challenge is how do you repurpose your content? How do you adapt it and slice it and cut it or edit or write it or audio or video into different platforms, into different ways? And I think AI can be a really good tool to accelerate their program and reduce the cost of doing such things. Mm. So that's that's a big thing we're looking at.
0: It's always fascinated me about how much content we generate as publishers and how much of it is lost either to not being archived correctly or not being tagged correctly or not being stored correctly and maybe this is actually something that AI could do is is you know start retrieving some of our own databases and our own content to actually generate new and useful content. I love as well. the,
1: the thing that happened to me just quickly before this. But, yeah, of course. But, um, the other day on the FT Edit app, one of the articles uh, that was in there was from 2014, and this for me was
0: such on purpose. On I purpose.
1: hope. Purpose. <laughs> I think it was a fabulous example on on exactly what you're saying is we're sitting atop a vast amount of very high quality curated content and we need to become much better extracting value from it.
0: In in other industries, sweating your assets is something that is quite sort of stock standard for the way that you run a business. But I think in many ways as the publishing industry, we have really not taken lessons from other industries in so many ways, you know. So um, it is really fascinating for me about how uh, we've kept those commercial realities from our businesses in so many ways and now we're really having to think about actually you know how how are we going to survive bringing editorial closer to commercial being one of them I think really interesting times ahead it wouldn't really be a podcast about the future without discussing AI and um, Nicholas do you have any comments on on where we are going and how do you see the uses of AI in, in newsrooms and all other emerging technologies
2: I think you've both touched on something that's, that's really interesting here. I have a broader point to make about kind of news, uh, newsroom and, and commercial operations. But I think just, just first of all, on this idea of um, leveraging your assets, there is something that is so powerful that can happen here. And I'm really excited to see what happens with the publishing industry in terms of that back catalog and how AI can allow us to service it in an intelligent way. And I'll give you an example. So if you think of... Um, a publication um, that has a huge um, catalogue of travel articles, for instance, or perhaps wine reviews, you know, there is an entire revenue stream, an entire service there that the audience will find valuable in terms of being able to surface that at the right time. And so being able to use generative AI to answer a natural language question, which is, you know, oh, hey, I'm, I'm serving pork for dinner tonight. What does, for instance, the FT think I should serve as a wine pairing. I think this is such an interesting place for publications to explore. I think I would also say more broadly, and and, and this is something that I think Leo will be quite interested in, In terms of the way that um, AI can democratize data for use inside publications, I think this is really interesting too. So, you know, I sit next to an analyst here at the office and sometimes I look at her screen and I have no idea what is going on on that screen. It is really just a different language. But I think what you are seeing with the increasing coding capabilities of tools like ChatGPT and Bard, um, you're able to see that these large language models are also going to be able to code and to allow us to extract data in a much more useful way. And the most recent examples of some of this is absolutely mind blowing, where you can just upload unstructured data and it can help you to make sense of it. And I think from that perspective, you know, for for a publisher engineering team, this is going to bring whole new levels of productivity and democratization of data inside the organization, which I think it's just so interesting,
0: fascinating. I agree with you. I, I think we are feeling our way around at the moment, but definitely so much potential for the future. And I, but personally, agree with the idea that uh, I still very much of the opinion that so many jobs that are happening in in newsrooms could be handled in a different way. And uh, you know, this is this is really where AI is going to become so powerful and hopefully free up really stretched newsrooms to focus on what it is that we are there to do, which is really, you know, to produce quality journalism and less about the, the really sort of manual process type work that, uh, that does infect many of our, our our news workflows. So I think drawing to the end, um, although I would like to carry on all day, but if I could just finish with a question for you, Leo, you've been around publishing and involved in publishing for, for very many years what is the one piece of strategic advice that you have for your peers in the industry? Something you wish you knew perhaps, Uh, if you had known something 10 years ago, what is your piece of strategic advice?
1: That's a really good question. Pick one. (laughs) (laughs) I'll try my best. I think I can boil it down to one. I think at the end of the day, most of them boil down to just one, which is know your user yeah i think we could have done that much earlier and i think a lot of yeah. newspapers are still have a lot to do in that direction know your user and uh, yeah the value are delivering them and everything unravels from them even the mission you know um so i think that's really important
0: i would agree with that nick any any last comments from you
2: i think my strategic advice would be tie it back to the business objectives because as we've said, and as this podcast discussion has proved, there's just so much that you can do. So being crystal clear about your your North Star is just so important. And I think it's the only way to to wrangle all of the data that we have.
0: To be targeted, focus on the North Star and your users will lead you to your North Star if it's done correctly. I just wanted to say a huge thank you so much to both of you for joining us on this week's episode of The Turning Point.
2: Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be here.
0: We will be back next week with another edition of the Turning Point podcast, exploring the critical moments news publishers have faced and the new direction they've forged. Don't forget to subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on each new episode. You can find the links on Spotify, iTunes, or of course via the FT Strategies website. And for more strategies and tactics, publishers and wider media are adopting to not just survive, but thrive, you can subscribe to the FT Strategies newsletter. Our executive producers today were Harni Tukes and Favour Emma Wachuko. My name is Lisa McLeod. That was The Turning Point. This FT Strategies podcast was brought to you in association with the Google News Initiative, who work side-by-side side with publishers and journalists to help strengthen their work in the digital age.